Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. All right. Hey, hey, Las Vegas. What's up? I am Crystal Heath. This is The Frittle Show, and you are listening to KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio, from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. All the things that John Grant just mentioned in our little intro there. One of these days I'm going to record a new intro. Today is not that day. Maybe sometime during Christmas, Christmas season. Believe it or not, you would think that Christmas would be the busiest time of year. No. Not for me. For me, December is my most favoritest of all the months because everything just kind of slows down. Like once we hit Christmas experience here at Liberty, if you've never been to Christmas experience at Liberty Baptist Church, you need to come to Las Vegas just so you can go to our Christmas experience on December 8th. But once we hit Christmas experience, things just... I love Christmas experience. We get to play Christmas music. It's just, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And I, I get so much accomplished in December that I don't other times. We had to we had to start a couple minutes late today. You might have noticed I played some music there at the beginning. The reason was <laughs> I was not starving, okay? I don't think that the vast majority of Americans can actually say that they're starving because we're just simply not starving. And when we use that expression, it is a great disservice to those around the world that are actually starving. So I was not starving. However, my American self was feeling a hungered. And since my American self was feeling a hungered, my American self felt the need to eat food. So I was just eating a cookie. And I don't know if you've ever tried before, but it's nearly impossible to eat a cookie and talk on the radio coherently at the same time. But I was also not going to be able to talk on the radio coherently without eating the cookie because all that I could think about was how ridiculously hungry I was. I don't know why, because I had breakfast as usual this morning. There wasn't anything out of the ordinary. But when I came out to my office, I just had this overwhelming sense of hunger. So anyway, I don't know why I'm sharing that with you, but now you know. I realize that cookie is not like the breakfast of champions or anything, but it is what it is. Okay, so we are going to talk today about a couple different things. We're basically going to have two main topics. So our first segment here, we're going to talk about what's happening in Syria, what's going on with Turkey, what the latest developments are with all of that. And then in our next segment, towards the end of the program, we will review last night's, or not last night's, what night was it? Tuesday. Yeah, was it Tuesday? Tuesday. Tuesday night's Democratic debate from CNN. The highs, the lows, the winners, the losers. All of that we will look at in just a few minutes. But first, we're going to talk Syria. We're going to talk about the Kurds, what's happening to the Kurds. Turkey pushing down into Syria. Syria pushing back. The whole thing has become just really devastating for the Kurds and those living in the area in question right now. And out of all of this, 
everything that's happening. You know, we can argue whether or not the president was correct in withdrawing or not. And I'm going to let some people that are much smarter than I am make that case for you in just a few minutes. But you know what I've really gotten out of all of this? Is we had somewhere between 50 and 100 U.S. troops in the area in question. Depending on who you ask, what time of day it is, which article you read, it's either 50, it's 100, it's somewhere in between. Point being, not a lot of people in a vast land area. And it is remarkable to me that in this vast land area, 50 men keeping an entire war at bay. That is the power of the American military, but is also the power of the idea of America. I mean, if, if Turkey comes in there, if Rodigan comes in there with full strength, 50 guys probably aren't going to be able to withstand the full strength of the Turkish military. But that's not the point. The point is simply our presence there and the respect that the rest of the world has for our country and for our country's power to say, you know what, we're not going to touch that right now because those guys are Americans and if we deal with them, we're going to be dealing with a whole lot more. And I just think that's remarkable. And I think it's a story that is being somewhat overlooked in this whole issue is the power of the United States. 50 people holding a war at bay. Now, obviously, there are two perspectives to this thing. Really, not very much room in between. One side says we should not have withdrawn. This was devastating. This was unnecessary. This was abandoning our allies. We should not have withdrawn. Then there are those saying, this is exactly what we should do. We need to stop the endless wars. We need to get out of this. And I could speculate. I could give you my thoughts. I could share my opinions. I, I did that somewhat last week. But I've decided to... Well, you'll see. You'll see. So... We have, there are just absolutely disgusting videos circulating around the internet. The things that the Turkish-backed Arab militias are doing to the Kurdish people, executing Kurds on a widespread scale, shooting them in the middle of the street, taking no prisoner mentality. Grave concerns that this is turning into a ethnic cleansing of the Kurds. There have been, I believe, upwards of a thousand ISIS fighters and their families that have gone free uh, from a holding camp as a result of this. Civilians being ex executed by the Free Syrian Army. A potential war brewing between Turkey and Syria, Russia and the Syrian Democratic Forces. Ms. Hevrin Kalef, 
was a 35-year-old woman who was working to unite Arabs, Christians, and Kurds in northeast Syria. As the Turkish troops advanced, she her car was stopped. She was dragged from her vehicle and shot to death. The Turkish state-backed media hailed her death as a successful operation to neutralize her. Rodigan forces are filming themselves, as the Turkish forces are filming themselves beheading Kurds. U.S. troops are having to withdraw further and further into Syria and are in fact risking being cut off and potentially coming under attack by enemy fighters. I don't think that will happen because I don't think that Turkey wants a war with us. And so what's happening right now in this region of Syria is catastrophic. It is nothing short of war. Which is exactly what many, if not most, predicted would happen when the U.S. withdrew from the area. What's interesting is that roughly 500,000 people, half a million people, were killed in Syria while Barack Obama was president. But we didn't hear very much about Syria then. The media on the left was not outraged about Kurds and minorities being persecuted and killed in Syria when there was a different president. I mean, I, I thought that this was going to happen. I didn't think that this would happen this quickly. I think that the case could be made that America first doesn't and probably shouldn't be America only. And we could continue to talk about the atrocities, but I, I think it's pretty well understood that what's happening in Syria right now is not good. That there are people dying, innocent people being literally slaughtered at the hands of, of evil. That ISIS's fighters are now free and headed who knows where to do who knows what to who knows who. And I've thought about this a lot in the past few days and how we were going to address this on the program today. And I've wondered why the president would make this call. I mean, I, I get the whole get out of the endless wars thing. But when 50 people are able to keep an entire region stabilized and the withdrawal of those 50 individuals is going to plunge an entire region into chaos where children and civilians are going to be mercilessly executed. You know, it left me going, why, why, why? And I thought, well, maybe, maybe this is to score some political points. I mean, the, the president campaigned on withdrawing uh, troops and ending the endless wars. That was one of his campaign promises. So maybe this is just political expediency. Maybe this is him trying to keep a, a campaign promise. And I thought about that for a little while, and I thought, you know, that I guess that could be. The problem is, though, now, when the, can when the president stands on the debate stage, he's going to have to face whatever, whomever is his Democratic opponent and explain this situation, explain why he made this decision and if God forbid, but if 
ISIS attacks, if there is an ISIS attack in the United States between now and the election, the president will be held directly responsible for that, and in many ways would be directly responsible for that as a result of, of this withdrawal. And that is anything but politically expedient. In fact, I, I think that could potentially be political suicide for the president. I, I didn't see there really being anything up until this point that could knock the president over. But this, that could do it. If you have an ISIS attack in this country between now and the next election, and it can be directly tied back to this, and even if it's not, that's how the media will spin it. But if it can be tied back to, you took these 50 guys out, the whole region destabilized, ISIS on the loose again, undid all the progress that we made, that's devastating, politically speaking. But then, there's the flip side of that politically, that Democrats aren't often the, the champions of conflict or war or police actioning anyway. So then you would have to have the Democratic candidate supporting greater use of force, which also puts them in a pickle. So I don't know where that will go politically. And as I've thought about this, I thought it, it can't be a political... I mean, maybe it started out that way, but if it started out as a political thing, I don't think it was well thought through because I, I don't see how this ends well politically for the president. And I've just been mulling things over and over and ruminating on things in my head, trying to make sense of this whole thing and why, why he would do this. And I saw two pieces over the weekend. Or I guess not weekend anymore. I guess it would have been a couple days ago. Uh, Monday, Tuesday. A couple different thoughts. Lines of thoughts. On why perhaps this would have been a thing. And there's a guy named Andrew McCarthy, probably not the one you're thinking of. He's a former chief assistant United States attorney. He's an editor at National Review. He's a Fox News contributor, a best-selling author. And he wrote a piece that I thought was really interesting. And he is clearly more knowledgeable in the situation than I am. And so I, I realized I could keep telling you what I think is going on. Or I could let this guy present his case. And I think that I'm just going to read to you his article because it's, it's better than, than what I could formulate here. So this is Andrew McCarthy in National Review Online. It's nationalreview.com. And in his article he wrote, On Monday, President Trump announced, and this was from, this article was from last week, so about a week ago. This was, oh, he he wrote the article last week, so last Monday. On Monday, President Trump announced that a contingent of fewer than 100 U.S. troops in Syria was being moved away from Kurdish-held territory on the border of Turkey. The move effectively green-lighted military operations by Turkey against the Kurds, which have now commenced. 
Some U.S. military officials went public with complaints about being blindsided. The policy cannot have been a surprise, so, though, as the president has made no secret that he wants out of Syria, where we now have about 1,000 troops, which is down from over 2,000 last year. More broadly, he wants our forces out of the Middle East. He ran on that position. We can argue against the endless war, but his stance is popular. As for Syria specifically, many of the president's advisors think we should stay, but he has not been persuaded. The president's announcement of the redeployment of the troops in Syria came on the heels of a phone conversation with Turkey's president Recep Tayyip Erdogan. This obviously was a mistake, given the appearance that Trump is taking cues from the Anahraz Islamist strongman. As has become rote, the inevitable criticism was followed by head-scratching tweets. The president vows to, quote, totally destroy and obliterate the economy of Turkey, which, quote, I've done before, unquote. Huh? If Turkey takes any actions, quote, that I, in my great and unmatched wisdom, consider to be off-limits, unquote. And when that happens, we can only sigh and say it will be interesting to see how the president backs up these haughty threats now that Turkey has begun its invasion. All that said, the president at least has a... Co um, has a position that is consistent with the Constitution and public opinion. He wants U.S. forces out of a conflict in which America's interests have never been clear and for which Congress has never approved military intervention. I find that sensible, no surprise, given that I have opposed intervention from Syria from the start. The stridency of the counter-arguments is matched only by their selectiveness in reciting relevant facts. Andrew McCarthy continues, President Trump, it says, is making a serious, many say, is making a serious mistake by moving our forces away from what is described as Kurdish territory. The resulting invasion by superior Turkish, for Turkish forces will kill American allies while, while carving out a zone of dominance that will serve further to inflame and complicate the region. Where to begin? Perhaps with the basic fact that there is no Kurdish territory. There is Syrian territory on Turkey's border that the Kurds are occupying. A situation that itself serves to inflame and complicate the region for reasons I shall come to. Ethnic Kurds do not have a state. They live in contiguous parts of Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Iran. Most are integrated into these countries, but many are separatists. And if you want to find out more about who the Kurds are, why this whole conflict with Turkey, Turkey even exists, uh, last week's podcast, I went into that in detail. So you can just go listen to that on, uh, on iTunes or SoundCloud. But now we're going to get back to Andrew McCarthy's uh, summary of this issue because it's so good. He continues, the Kurds have been our allies against ISIS, but it is not for us that they have fought. They fight ISIS for themselves with our help. They are seeking an autonomous zone and ultimately statehood. Many fail to note that the Kurds we have backed, led by the People's Protection Units, or YPG, are the Syrian branch of the PKK, or the Kurdistan Workers' Party, in Turkey. The PKK is a militant separatist organization with Marxist-Lenist roots. Although such informed observers uh, contend that the PKK has evolved, it remains a formally designated foreign terrorist organization under U.S. law. While our government materially supports the PKK's Confederates, ordinary Mer Americans have been prosecuted for materially supporting the PKK. The PKK has a long history of conducting terrorist attacks, but their quarrel is not with us. So why has our government designated them as terrorists? Because they have been fighting an insurgent war against Turkey for over 30 years. Turkey remains our NATO ally, even though the Erdogan government is one of the more duplicitous and anti-Western actors in a region that teems with them. The Erdogan problem complicates, but does not change the fact that Turkey is of great strategic significance to our security. So get what, what this guy is saying is 
Yes, we're abandoning the Kurds, and they have been our allies against ISIS. But the Kurds that we have been backing, that have been fighting with us, are part of this militant separatist organization that has Marxist roots that our government has designated as a terrorist organization. The enemy of your enemy is my friend type deal. Or the enemy of my enemy is my friend. While it is a longer discussion, McCarthy writes, I would be open to considering the removal of both the PKK from the terrorist list and Turkey from NATO. So he's saying, okay, let's do both. For now, though, the blunt facts are that the PKK is a terrorist organization and Turkey is our ally. These are not mere technicalities. Contrary to many suggestions, our government's machinations in Syria have not just put one of our allies in a bind. There are two allies in this equation, and our support for one has already vexed the other. The ramifications are serious, not, less, not the least of which is Turkey's continued lurch away from NATO and toward Moscow. Without any public debate, the Obama administration in 2014 insinuated our nation into the Kurdish-Turk conflict by arming the YPG. To be sure, our intentions were good. ISIS had besieged the city of Kobani in northern Syria, but Turkey understandably regards the YPG as a terrorist organization complicit in the PKK insurgency. That brings us to another non-technicality, and that is our intervention in Syria has never been authorized by Congress. Those who opposed intervention maintained that congressional authorization was necessary because there was no imminent threat to our nation. Contrary to the editorial's suggestion, having U.S. forces deter further genocidal bloodshed in northern Syria is not a mission for which Americans support committing our men and women in uniform. Such bloodlettings are the Muslim Middle East default condition, so the missions would never end. A congressional debate should have been mandatory before we jumped into a multi-layered war featuring anti-American actors and shifting loyalties on both sides. In fact, so complex is the situation that President Obama's initial goal was to oust Syria's Assad regime, only later came the pivot to fighting terrorists which helped Assad. This is Syria. Opposing one set of America's enemies only empowers another. More clear than what intervention would accomplish was the likelihood of becoming enmeshed, inadvertently or otherwise, in various conflicts of which we wanted no part, such as the notorious and long-standing conflict between Turks and Kurds. Barbaric jihadist groups such as ISIS come, came into existence because of Islamic fundamentalism. But saying so remains de trop in Washington. Instead, we tell ourselves that terrorism emerges due to vacuums created in the absence of U.S. forces. On this logic, there should always and forever be U.S. forces and involvement in places where hostility to America vastly outweighs American interests. President Obama has wrongly been blamed for creating ISIS by leaving a vacuum in Iraq. Couldn't be the Sharia supremacist culture, could it? No, we're supposed to think that this sort of thing could happen anywhere. So when Obama withdrew our forces from the region, as Trump is doing now, jihadist atrocities and territorial conquests ensued. Eventually, Obama decided that action needed to be taken, but invading with U.S. troops was not an option. It would have been deeply unpopular and undercut Obama's tout that Islamic militarism was on the wane. Our government, therefore, sought proxy forces. Most proved incompetent. The Kurds, however, are very capable. There was clamor on Capitol Hill to back them. We knew from the first, though, that supporting them was a time bomb. Turkey was never going to countenance a Turk Kurdish autonomous zone led by the YPG and PKK elements on its Syrian border. Ankara was already adamant that the PKK was using the Kurdish autonomous zone in Iraq to encourage separatist uprisings in Turkey, where 20% of the population is Kurdish. 
Yes, we had humanitarian reasons for arming the Kurds, but doing so undermined our own anti-terrorism laws while giving Iraq an incentive to align with Russia and mend fences with Iran. ISIS, meanwhile, has never been defeated, contrary to what the president has said. It lost its territorial caliphate, but it was always more lethal as an underground terrorist organization than as a quasi-sovereign struggling to hold territory. And Al-Qaeda, though rarely spoken of in recent years, is ascendant, as threatening as it has been at any time since its pre-9-11 heyday. Those opposed to intervention in Syria wanted Congress to think through these quite predictable outcomes before authorizing any further U.S. military involvement in this wretched region. Congress, however, much prefers to lay low in the tall grass, wait for presidents to act, and then complain when things go awry. And so they have. The easily foreseeable conflict between Turkey and the Kurds is at hand. We are supposed to see the problem as Trump's abandoning of U.S. commitments. But why did we make commitments to the Kurds that undermined pre-existing commitments to Turkey? The debate is strictly framed as, how can we leave the Kurds to the tender mercies of the Turks? And no one is supposed to ask, what did we expect would happen when we backed a militant organization that is tightly linked to U.S.-designated terrorists and that is the bitter enemy of a NATO ally we knew would not abide its presence on the Allies' border? No one is supposed to ask, what is the end game here? Are we endorsing the partition of Syria? Did we see a Kurdish autonomous zone as the next Kosovo? That's a big question. There are no easy answers in Syria, but that is no excuse for offering an answer that makes no sense, such as the United States should have an exit strategy, but one that neither squanders our tactical gains against ISIS nor exposes our allies to unacceptable retribution. Put aside that our arming of the Kurds has already exposed our allies in Turkey to unacceptable risk, what many pros is not an exit strategy, but its opposite. In effect... They believe that we should keep U.S. forces in Syria interminably, permanently interposed between the Kurds and the Turks. The untidy questions of how that would be justifiable legally or politically go unaddressed. President Trump, by contrast, has an exit strategy which is to exit. He promises to cripple Turkey economically if the Kurds are harmed. If early reports of Turkey's military assault are accurate, again this was written a week ago, the president will soon be put to the test and I hope he is up to it. For a change, he should have strong support from Congress, which is threatening heavy sanctions if Turkey routes the Kurds. Americans, however, are not of a mind to do more than that. We are grateful for what the Kurds did in our mutual interest against ISIS, and we should try to help them, but no one wants to risk war with Turkey over them. The American people's representatives never endorse combat operations in Syria, and the president is right that the public wants out. Of course, we must prioritize the denial of safe havens from which jihadis can attack American interests, but we have to stop pretending, though, that if our intentions toward this neighborhood are pure, its brutal history, enduring hostilities, and significant downside risks can be ignored. That is a piece by Andrew McCarthy in National Review. I encourage you to go and read it because it has helped me significantly. I've read it a couple times, and the more I read it, the more sense that it makes. Is what is happening in Turkey and Syria and with the Kurds just grossly horrific? Yes. Is it questionable that we withdrew? Is it questionable that the president withdrew following a conversation with the Turkish president? Yes. Could there have been a better way to do it? I don't know. Maybe. Probably. Perhaps. But there is some real thought to be given and a real case to be made, I think, when someone lays out 
this as as McCarthy has done here. Now, the president, I think, would be wise to issue some sort of similar lengthy explanation, possibly through the White House website or, or an address to the nation. But I think that tweeting about the problems and putting people on blast is probably not the answer. What you need is a factual, this is why. The president needs to say, I didn't put us there. Obama put us there. Obama armed terrorists, and terrorists fought alongside us. Again, enemy of my enemy. It's my friend. But this is always going to happen in this region. ISIS doesn't form because we're not there. ISIS forms because the literal understanding and interpretation of the teachings of Muhammad create this type of violence. And while there aren't easy answers, there are some easy questions. Like, what, what did we, did we think that this would not happen? Did we think that one of our allies was just going to allow someone that they consider a terrorist organization and a group that we in the United States have declared is a terrorist organization to just operate in a massive swath of land along its southern border? That's a fair question. What is the end game? That is a fair question. Are we endorsing a partition of Syria? That is a fair question. Are we saying we want an autonomous zone for the Kurds? That is a fair question. Why is there no congressional authority for us to be in this region at all right now? That is a fair question. These are all fair questions which I think deserve to be answered. And while it's easy to see the images of the terror that, it, that is happening to the people living in this region and to just be heartbroken and to think, my goodness, if it only took 50 U.S. troops to keep this at bay, why would we withdraw from this? And it, 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 it's easy to let emotions dictate our thoughts and our actions instead of facts. And the media is so good at playing on our emotions. I mean, that is what pictures do. That is what newscasters do. You want to draw people in. You have to hook people. You have to present a compelling story so that people will keep watching, so that people will keep listening, so that you can persuade people uh, to your point of view. That That is what the media does. So I don't have the answer. And I, uh, what is going on in Turkey right now, in this, in Syria rather, in this region, with the Kurdish people, absolutely devastating. And the Kurds have provided a, a stable area for minorities, for Christians, for other people who have been persecuted in the, in the countries that they are occupying uh, parts of. So Iraq, Iran, uh, Turkey, Syria, countries where there would be oppression, the Kurds in their Kurdistan region have have allowed more freedom but that doesn't change the fact that we have the group that is backing these people that have been fighting alongside of us classified as a terrorist organization or that they are an enemy with someone who is our ally and there has to come a point of our allies not going to stand for us supporting the terrorist organization forever and so we have to make a choice between the two and if you're going to choose between the two at this very moment, 
especially since there is no congressional authority for us to be in this region, then I think you, you, you have to, as, as unfathomable and unthinkable as it seems, from many perspectives, I, 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 I have a better understanding now, I think, of why the president has chosen to, com- to I want to <laughs> comply sounds like a terrible word because it's not something that our president, anyway, why he has allowed this with Turkey and why he has withdrawn our troops and allowed them to get back to their never-ending conflict. I don't necessarily like it. My American sensibilities are offended. Is that is that the right word to say? Because honestly, let's think about it. We see these images, we see these pictures coming out of these regions, and what do we actually do about it? We we get offended, but what do we, what what difference are we making in that region now? Glenn Beck, you love him or hate him, with his Nazarene fund, he is actually making a difference for Christians and for those persecuted in this region. And if you want to actually be of help, like actually be of help and not just be offended one way or the other or rage against the president, if you actually want to make a difference for these people that are the ones that are actually suffering, go go check out what Glenn Beck is doing with his Nazarene fund. It's a it's a great, great opportunity if you want to be involved in actually making a difference. But I, I don't know the answer. And people ask me about, you know, why do you think this is going on? What's going on? I don't know why. We can explain a little bit of the what. You know, there was part of me earlier this week that was like, you know, if the president was trying to take the attention off of the whole Ukraine impeachment inquiry thing, he did it. Right. But, you know, I and I tried to keep this balanced in this segment. You know, we started out talking about the atrocities that are happening. We started out talking about how this could be detrimental, even just to the president's reelection if ISIS regains a foothold here. But I also wanted to present the other side, because I think too often we only hear the side that we want to hear. We don't listen to the other side. We don't look for the other side. And so I, I tried to bring both here for you today so that you can look at these and, and so that maybe you'll be inspired to go and do your own research on these issues and come to come to an opinion. And to be honest with you, after I have studied this thing, I don't... I, I have no opinion, really. I, I can see both. I see why so many... We're, are just going, why on the earth would we withdraw these guys? But I, I see the other side of it. Logically, you know, and legally speaking, there's... We shouldn't be there when it comes to the Constitution and how the... I mean, Congress didn't put us there. So why are we there? Like, I I, I see both and I get it. The, there's the hum, human side of the Kurds are, are being slaughtered and I get that. But you, you got to see the other side too. And I think once you see both, it doesn't make it easier. In fact, it makes it harder because we, we want things to be right and we want things to be wrong and we want things to be black and we want things to be white. We like 
when in Star Wars we know who the bad guys are and we know who the good guys are. It's we we that's how we want things to be, but life is not always as Star Wars friendly to where somebody walks up in a completely uh dark outfit with a mask saying I'm the bad guy. Ha ha ha. That's not usually how it works in real life. Which is probably one of the reasons why Hollywood does so well because we can escape reality. But unfortunately there is no escaping reality for those living this horror in Turkey and Syria right now. So my encouragement to you is to pray for wisdom for the situation. Have a conversation with your family. Have a conversation with your kids. Discuss this um, with your family. Do some research. Get to know what uh, what is going on and be willing to have that tough conversation. And if you want to get involved with actually helping people on the ground who are being affected by this, you can go uh, to mercuryone.org. It's Glenn Beck's uh, organization, and they are doing work right now in helping the Kurdish people and other minorities and civilians that are trying to escape this region or, or needing help in this region. So if that is if that is in your wheelhouse, then, then that would be the place that I would recommend going. All right. Okay. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we'll have a few minutes left, and we are going to go over the presidential debate of earlier this week. Winners, losers, everything in between. Don't go away. You're listening to KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. All right, we are back. Winners, losers, the Democratic debate. And what do atheists have to do with it all? Well, we're going to talk about that here in just a few minutes. The general consensus on, oh, what night was the debate? Tuesday night? Tuesday night's debate was that it was boring. Like, oh my goodness, so boring. It was. It didn't have any of the big aha moments that some of the other debates have had. It didn't have any of the memeable, quotables. Well, that's not exactly true. Biden had a couple gaffes. Um, what was his one? I forget what his one gaff was, but it was literally like you had no idea what he was saying. And he keeps doing this. I had high hopes for Biden. High, high hopes. Um, but I don't... I He just stumbling and bumbling all over the place. I don't know what's going to happen with him. Mayor Pete had some really good ideas. I mean, he just shot down, I think it was Beto was pushing the gun control and gun confiscation thing again. And Mayor Pete just took him down on that. Um, He said that the impeachment process inquiry is a, a distraction and will leave us worse off. Like, he had some really, some really good moments that... A lot of conservatives were actually praising online, so that was unique. But he also had moments who just were were pleasing to Democrats as well. He criticized Warren for not answering on whether she will raise taxes with her Medicare for All plan, which she will, and she keeps dodging the question. She never answers it. And he said that's one of the reasons why people are so frustrated with Washington is because we don't give uh, answers when uh, when... Tulsi Gabbard 
was talking about President Trump's decision to withdraw troops from northern Syria, which we talked about in the first segment. His response was, I think that's dead wrong. The slaughter going on in Syria is not a consequence of American presence. It's a consequence of a withdrawal and betrayal by the president of American allies and American values. So obviously that is going to pull really well. Uh, the... Um, He, he called on he, he 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 pointed to his own military service he was dominant he was commanding and he drew a contrast between himself and many of the other candidates he painted himself as more of a moderate which I think he has not done up until this point he was just he spoke better on foreign policy he was passionate about it he was passionate on the United States and our leadership around the world. He he was really one of the few that really kind of stuck to policy. He seemed to be going after independents. He seemed to be going after fringe Republicans or Republicans who might not be willing to support President Trump anymore for whatever reason. He's been kind of just floundering the past couple of months, I think, when you look at the polls. But I expect him to get a nice little bump out of this debate performance. Because on a debate night that was really just kind of blah, Mayor Pete, across the board, from everything from National Review to Vox, Fox, Vox and Fox, to The Hill, Politico, CNN, Washington Post, USA Today, he is literally on everyone's winner's list. Mayor Pete. And he really, you know, he, he did have a good showing. He had a very good showing. Again, not someone that I would want to support for various variety of reasons. For a various variety of reasons. I just said that. But, on a night of bleh, Mayor Pete stood out. Uh, Andrew Yang let the world know that no one uses Bing. And said, sorry Microsoft, it's true. It's, I mean, it's true. He said, <laughs> he said, it's not like any of us want to use the fourth best navigation app and there's a reason why no one uses Bing today. That is accurate. Literally, no one uses Bing. Um, let's see, what else? Elizabeth Warren had a very strong performance as well. Uh, she didn't answer questions, though, but she did go after her fellow candidates. She questioned the protecting of billionaires rather than investing in America. She, I, I think the reason that she came out looking good in this debate is because she was the candidate that other people were going after. So previously it was Biden, now they're going after Warren. That paints her as a front runner because now she has more opportunities to respond. She gets to answer the things that are leveled against her. Bernie Sanders actually had a pretty decent showing as well considering his recent heart attack. He was strong, he appeared forceful, he looked like he hadn't just had a heart attack. So the problem for Bernie is that now he's trailing behind Warren and Biden. And like I said, with Mayor Pete possibly making a move here, I, I just don't see Bernie being the answer. Biggest loser of the night? Probably, honestly, Joe Biden. He just 
He was not clear. He was not concise. He dodged a question about Ukraine. He stumbled through several answers. He just had a, an unimpressive performance. Others that didn't do well, Amy Klobuchar, uh, Kamala Harris, Gabbard, Castro, Steyer, Booker. Cory Booker, he said something about, he said, uh, what did he say? He said something like, as the only vegan on this stage, I can say that any of us are the most physically fit for the presidency. Or something along those lines. And I was like, are you serious? Bernie Sanders just had a heart attack, my man. Like, come on. <laughs> like, what? So none of them really had a night that would make you go, huh, you know what? That The only one that had a huh night, I think, was Mayor Pete. Of course, you know, we expected Elizabeth Warren to have a decent showing. We expected Bernie Sanders to have a decent showing because they've been front runners. I didn't expect Joe Biden the, to have as bad of a showing as he did. I figured at some point he's got to sing around, right? And apparently, wrong. The one thing all candidates did agree on was uh, impeachment, although, as I mentioned, Mayor Pete said it's going to just splinter things and it won't end well. Meanwhile, while they're all agreeing and talking about impeachment on the debate stage, Speaker Nancy Pelosi said earlier this week that she will not stage a vote on the House floor to officially launch an impeachment inquiry into President Trump. So, <laughs> there, it's not even an impeachment process, and yet we are talking about impeachment. She's not going to vote on this. They're just going to keep talking about it and acting as though they have an official impeachment inquiry, even though they do not. Perhaps this is just one of the many reasons why new data suggests that if Michelle Obama were to enter the race as a Democratic candidate, she would be immediately a frontrunner. Now, she said that there is zero chance that she would run for president in 2020, but the Boston Herald Franklin Pierce University survey released earlier this week indicated that if Obama jumped into the race, she would get 26% of the vote in New Hampshire. Warren and Biden would be at 20 and Sanders would be at 15%. So, that is something to keep in mind. Something to keep in mind. But what about the atheist? I mentioned them earlier today. Atheist, the big winner of the night. How can that be? Well, apparently... The Freedom From Religious Foundation created an ad several years ago, but all of the major networks have refused to air this ad. So NBC, CBS, ABC, and Discovery Networks have all rejected this ad. CNN accepted this ad. The ad is um, a, a short spot from Ron Reagan, former President Ronald Reagan's son, for the Freedom From Religion Foundation, a group that you probably are familiar with because they target religion in public schools, any sort of religion in, in government, any, anywhere that they find religion, they target it. And in his 30-second ad, Ron Reagan said, Hi, I'm Ron Reagan, an unabashed atheist, and I'm alarmed by the intrusion of religion into our secular government. Uh, he said he asked people to support the Freedom From Religion Foundation, which he said was the nation's or is the nation's largest and most effective association of atheists and agnostics, working to keep state and church separate, just like our founding fathers intended it. And as he ended the ad, he said that he is a lifelong atheist who is not afraid of burning in hell. That, of course, begs the question, well, if you're not afraid of burning in hell, then why do you care if there's any sort of religion taught anywhere? Because if it's like, what's the big deal then? But anyway, with this ad, Ron Reagan became the top trending search online. Top thing on Google, top trend on Twitter, 
not Mayor Pete, not Elizabeth Warren, not Joe Biden, not who's the other Bernie Sanders, not <laughs> climate change, not Syria, not Turkey, not abortion, not LGBTQ guy anything nothing related to any sort of of policy or anything actually related to the debate or the candidates during the debate number one trend ron reagan who got on tv to said he's a lifelong atheist who's not afraid of burning in hell which is so incredibly sad and obviously the only way you cannot be afraid of burning in hell if you don't believe that hell exists which Ron Reagan clearly does not as an atheist. And which is really devastating for him and devastating for the country that this is what is trending. As we're supposed to be debating issues, as we're supposed to be thinking through who would be the best to represent us as a nation, Ron Reagan and the Freedom From Religion Foundation is what trends. But I thought, you know, kudos to the big networks for not airing this. I was kind of surprised. This was was made in 2014. Rejected by NBC, CBS, ABC, and the Discovery Networks. Now they'll, they'll go all out in more subtle ways <laughs> to uh, try to influence culture and bend truth and twist it until we can't even recognize it anymore. But they don't, they don't want to come right out and say atheism is awesome no we'll just we'll just sneak it in here and there but very interesting I found that to be the most interesting element of the night there wasn't any candidates that were trending wasn't any issues that were trending not any policies nope Ron Reagan the guy who says that he's not doesn't believe in God he's a lifelong atheist not afraid of burning in hell Ron Reagan may say that he doesn't believe in God, but what God says about Ron Reagan is that he's a fool. More than once in Scripture, we're told that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And that the simple pass on and are punished. It's My heart breaks for this guy and for people like him who reject truth repeatedly and reach a point <clears throat> excuse me like this but now you know you have the summary of the debate you have the top trends biggest winners biggest losers we talked about Syria we talked about Turkey we talked about all the things thank you for being with us today always a pleasure and privilege to have you here with us hope you have a fantastic rest of your week and don't forget this Sunday at Liberty is our Harvest Festival. We're giving away free pumpkins. We've got free pony rides. I think there's going to be bounce houses out there, food trucks. It's going to be a great time. Invite your friends, invite your family, invite your neighbors, invite people you don't like. Get people to come to church with you this Sunday so that they can learn the truth about who God is, what the Bible says, and how they can know for sure that they're going to heaven when they die. Right? Let's not let Ron Reagan be the theology of the week. Bring your friends to church and we'll have a conversation about what is true and accurate and what God says. And we will see you back here again tomorrow, same time, same place on KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas.